I tell you what, I'm going to go ahead and let you sit down. I'm going to, I'm going to break away from tradition a little bit tonight, okay? I know, it's going to shock some of you. Because I'm supposed to start with a scripture and the reading of the word. But I, I really do feel that God has given me something um, without a doubt that um, I know that the right person is here for it tonight. And no matter who it is, it might be all of us. But I can tell you right now that God has blessed me with this and he's teaching me continually. So if you'll bear with me, <clears throat> we're going to make it through this and we're going to learn a few things. Um, this is a, a pretty big subject that I'm going to tackle tonight. Um, and so to say the least, I'm only going to make it through a little portion of it. Um, so, um, if, if, if you will just focus with me, I'm going to keep it short. Focus with me. In the autumn of 1923, a gentleman from his native land of Wales arrived in Brookline, Massachusetts, I'm, I'm delighted that I said that correctly. He came to the States with a party of David Lloyd George, a famed British prime minister. The gentleman soon found himself the guest of the African Inland Missionary Home there in Brookline and was already feeling pretty lonely. A large group of retired lady missionaries, sensing his loneliness, arranged an afternoon tea to help dispel his gloom. At the close, he was asked to say a word to the, to the assembled ladies, and looking them squarely in the face, he exclaimed, What language is there to describe my gratitude to you dear women for all of this kindness? What word can describe my feelings right now? Then in a burst of enthusiasm, he thundered, I know just the word. You, my ladies, are without doubt the most homely women I have ever met. So this young man quickly learned the hard way that there are words used in the old country where he's from that have a complete different meaning here in the States. You see, in Wales, the word homely means wholesome, gracious, kind, loving, and motherly. And, and that is a, a small sample of how sometimes words are pretty powerful, okay? Stay with me. I know where I'm going, okay? I want to speak to you briefly tonight on the subject, words we speak. I'm not going to start my sermon with the traditional manner, like I was stating, of reading Scripture. But if you'll indulge me for a few minutes, I'll be giving you some Scriptures throughout, throughout the lesson. If we're going to discuss tonight the words that we say and the words that we speak, we must first discuss how the words come to being. Typically, words are developed after a thought has come into our minds. Now, this isn't necessarily always the case. On many occasions, and I hope somebody here could agree with me, I've spoken well before I ever put my words through that little thought process. And so, uh, most of the time, the outcome of the action, uh, you know, of me speaking before putting it through my thought process, process 
that action has usually been a regrettable one, something that I've always had to go back and apologize for. A man went in for a brain transplant operation, and he was offered a choice of two brains from the surgeon. The surgeon said, well, sir, the first brain is the brain of an architect, and that brain will cost you $10,000. He said, but I do have a little upgrade. I have another brain of a politician. And he said, the man said, well, how much is that brain? The man said, well, that's $100,000. The guy says, well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a little confused at, at why, why the price jumped so much. He said, well, you see, sir, that brain's never been used. So what I'm saying tonight is it's cute and it's funny, but a lot of times, and you'll see in politicians, they're just saying things that you want to hear. They're not necessarily saying things that have really gone through. Their thought process is more along the lines of what do they want to hear rather than what do they need to hear. And so that is the example that I, I, I'm giving as far as some of where, where our thoughts come from, where these thoughts are created. The mind is a glorious creation and is created by God. The power of it is truly beyond man's grasp. The mind can work wonders for you if you can learn to control it. It's the most powerful operating influence in your body. You are at the controls of a mighty, mighty machine that can work for you or it can work against you. What's in the mind controls the body. Brother Hughes, um, Brother uh, James Hughes preached a couple of weekends ago or, or months ago actually and was talking about the power of the brain and he talked about a book. And so I went to him. I said, man, I'm excited. What, you know, where is this book? Uh, how do I get it? And he gave me the name and the author. And, and so I got the book. Well, I do a lot of traveling. And so I got the book on, on tape or on, on my little iPod or whatever this thing is, the iPhone. And so I was able to listen to the book. I was seven minutes into this thing and had to turn it off. I was literally going to sleep. I was so lost. The guy was using words I have never, I've been in a lot of school and I've never heard these words before in my life. And he was a doctor and he was explaining the chemistry and the makeup of the brain. And I was thinking, whoo, man, that'll be the last time I ever asked Brother Hughes for a book. You know, this stuff, I can't even, I don't even know what's going on. I, I, I literally, it sounded like he was speaking another language. But what he was talking about is the power of the brain and how thoughts come to being and how he went a lot deeper than I'm going to take you tonight, okay? We're going to stay in the shallow end if you don't mind. But in Proverbs 23 and verse 7, it says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Who? As man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your emotions, your moods, your tendencies, your instincts, your passion, your feelings and your attitudes are yours to direct. How you use them is completely up to you. A couple of weekends ago, Brother Hughes preached a message about you're in control of your destiny. If you didn't hear that, please see Brother Kenneth after, after church and he'll direct you to the website. Download that. And, 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 and that is something that you could literally listen to every week. It's a reminder that we are in control of our destiny. We are told through the word of God to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself 
against the knowledge of God and to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This means to control the mind and to control the thinking process. For this controls the body. Imaginations and thoughts are to be in alignment with God's thoughts. That's why we have the Word of God as an instruction manual. His thoughts are creativity, success, power, magnificence, greatness, and life itself. There, these are the, are, are the, these are the thoughts that should be consuming our mind. The mind is much like a garden. And I, I know that I have ex- expressed some of mine and Cindy's gardening experiences with y'all before. But you know, I have never opened a bag of carrots and taken those seeds in my hand and after tilling the ground and working so hard on ground that just didn't want to break up and, and getting it to the right place, planted those carrots and then cared for them for weeks on end and then come out only to find cucumbers. You know what I find when I come out? I find carrots because that's what I planted. The mind is much like this garden. You dig holes in the ground and you plant, you plant carrots. You cover the holes with dirt. You water it. You fertilize it. What happens? The ground will return to you exactly what you planted, but in a much mature state. Your conscious mind and your subconscious mind work in exactly the same way. Listen to me tonight. I'm telling you, this, this can change some of the things you're going through right now. Your conscious mind and your subconscious mind work in exactly the same way. If your conscious mind plants anger, if it plants resentment, if it plants envy, failure, defeat, and other negative thoughts in your subconscious mind, you will get back precisely what you have planted. What the mind thinks, the mind speaks. Therefore, it is crucial It is crucial to guard the mind, for the tongue is an extension of the mind. I can sit with somebody, and, and, you know, I I have been very successful in my field, and that's the field of sales. I sell lumber. That's what I do. But I've been very successful. And a lot of my success has come from the simple fact that I can sit down with somebody within 10 minutes, realistically 10 minutes, And I can tell you a good portion of that person's belief system and mainly that person's interest. And when I, when I identify those, sometimes it takes longer, but when I identify those, then all of a sudden I know how I can connect with this person. Then when I connect with that person, then all of a sudden I start building trust with that person. Then when I build trust with that person, that person trusts me. And then all of a sudden you have somebody that you want to do business with. You want to do business with somebody that you trust. And so that's, that's really how this comes about. I can tell you in a matter of a few minutes a person's main concerns. Because out of the mind, the tongue speaks. There is an interesting phrase penned in Psalm 73 verse 9. Their tongue walketh through the earth. How does a tongue walk? Well, I'll tell you how it walks. It's pretty simple. It walks in the body. The mind controls the tongue, and the mind also controls the body. 
Therefore, when a tongue is said to walk, the tongue represents the whole person. For the tongue simply reveals the mind. We as Christians, we as Holy Ghost-filled Christians must consciously keep our minds on the things that you want and off of the things that you don't want in your mind. That's rocket science right there. That's, 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 man, didn't know that. Well, stick with me a little bit longer, okay? We must learn to discipline our thoughts and visualize the right things. If you go on a diet, before you go on that diet, do you go by Walmart and down the Twinkie aisle and the candy aisle and stock up? <laughs> well, I have done that. <laughs> but no, typically you don't because you know that you're about to go on a diet. So you don't, you don't feel your cupboards full of stuff that that is going to help you break this diet or go against what you're trying to do. No, you're going to go to the lean cuisines. You're going to go to the wheat bread. You're going to go to all the things that are going to help you stay on this diet. With every failure, with every sorrow, with every adversity or unpleasant circumstance, everyone, everyone has the opportunity to react in a positive manner. No one can change the past. But everybody and anyone can affect the present and the future. Paul said to forget the past and look towards your goal. Dwelling on the failures of negative feelings only makes things worse. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forth unto those things which are before that's what Paul stated in Philippians 3 and 13. Milton, the blind poet, wrote, The mind is its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell and a hell of heaven. Napoleon and Helen Keller are perfect illustrations for Milton's statement. Napoleon, Napoleon had everything men usually crave. He had glory. He had power. He had riches. Yet he said at St. Helena, I have never known six happy days in my life. While Helen Keller, blind, deaf, and dumb, declared, I have found life so beautiful. It just doesn't make sense. How can these people have such opposite feelings? Some minds are like graveyards. Pictures of disease. Pictures of sickness. Thoughts of fear. Torment. Death. Depression. And dismay. Line the corridor of their minds. There, are, there is a phrase mentioned in Ezekiel 8 and 12 that is very very enlightening, and it has stuck with me so strong. And it says, Every man in his chambers, in the chambers of his imagery. This chamber of imagination is what dictates to the body and life of a person. Therefore, it is necessary to do mental cleaning of the imaginations in the minds. 
It's necessary to guard yourself of your imaginations. Many people say, well, you know what? It's just a thought. It's just, it's, it's just a passing thought. That's good. That's okay. They're going to happen. You can't stop them. But you have to learn just like you do with your body. You have to learn to condition your mind not to dwell on these thoughts, but to put those things behind you, just like Paul said, and to look forth to the future. Learn, those thoughts aren't going to stop. You, you, we live in flesh. That's the reason why the Bible talks so much about fasting and prayer. Because typically the only thing that you can do to, to get past a lot of those thoughts and those images in your mind is to take them before the Lord. The story told in Ezekiel 37, dubbed as the Ezekiel Boneyard. A, this is a picture of death inside of many people. The bones said, our bones are dried, our hope is lost. But God said to the bones, oh my people, I will open your graves and I will cause you to come up out of your graves. Ezekiel 37 and 14 gives the secret. I shall put my spirit in you and you shall live. Who is I? The word their spirit is capitalized, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. I will put my spirit in you and ye shall live. Our speech determines our future. The words of your mouth have control of your life, whether you want to admit it or not. Whatever comes out of your mouth will determine your future. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth it wide, his lips shall, shall have destructions. destruction. Proverbs 13 and 3. Proverbs 21 and 23. Whosoever keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Whosoever keepeth his mouth and his tongues keepeth his soul from troubles. What you say is what you get. James likened the tongue to a rudder on a ship. The rudder controls the direction of the ship. The tongue controls the direction of your life. Consider the bit in the horse's mouth. The bit is likened to the tongue. The bit controls the horse's actions and directs and directions. He receives for wherever he's going. Likewise, the tongue directs a person's life. The psalmist David prayed the following prayer. I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle. Psalms 39 and verse 1. Instead of letting our tongues flap in any direction, we need to have control over what we say. Therefore, we will save ourselves, and we will save others from hurt and from pain. Speech is forever. It can't be erased. Every word that I'm saying tonight will echo forever throughout the word. It's a sound wave. I'm talking re realistically, physically. It is a physical sound wave. A scientist once said that he would continue to work for the remainder of his life on an instrument 
that could pick up sound waves for he would know what the earth had to say since it was born. Sound waves never stop. My sound wave's hitting that back wall right now. It's hitting this back wall. It's going to find a way out of here. And it's going to hit that wall. It's going to come out here. It's going to hit a car. It's, phys- it's a, physical, a physical, tangible sound wave that never stops. The words that you speak, the words that you utter out of your mouth will last forever. They will never stop. It can't be erased. Once it's gone, it flies like a bird into the air. The atmosphere pulsates with our words and with words throughout time. That's why it's so important that we speak kind words, that we speak positive words. Do you know who you're going to believe the most in your life? Is it your father? Is it your mother? Is it your pastor? Is it some young punk up here trying to teach you a Wednesday night Bible service? Is it your boss? No. The person you're going to believe most in your life is yourself. I teach that to my sons all the time. Be careful what you say because you're going to get it. You're going to get what you say. Life is hard enough without putting ourselves in misery by what we speak. Attention must be given to this very, very important area. Stop. Think. Listen should be a paramount in our communication with people. Should, it should be there. You're not going to offend anybody. I tell people all the time. They come to me and ask questions. I'm like, I don't know the answer. Let me, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. I'll get back to you. Since we are the only ones, since we are the only ones that control our speech, We need to speak the things that God has spoken into our life. We need to speak things that bring faith, that bring health, that bring happiness. If you could stand with me.